The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So where have we come from? Well, uh, in our journey through Lent this year, I'm calling us uh, to, to grab hold of our faith uh, in new ways. Uh, this Lenten season is, a, is actually a call to live differently, I think. And we began looking at faith uh, through the story of Abraham uh, that we, we discovered that Christian faith uh, begins when we, when we answer the call that God has placed on our lives. And so through the rest of this series, we've been exploring the implications of that. When God, God places the, the call on our lives and we put our trust and our faith and our hope in him, what are the things that get impacted? What, what changes? And uh, to, to introduce this uh, last week, I, I put up a triangle. Um, there's actually, there's a name to it, and I didn't mention the name last week, but it's called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And what we can see in this triangle, Emerson, if you can pull up the slides for me there. Um, I'll, I've got the clicker too, so I will, uh, I'll control these things, all right? Thanks. Um, so as we can see through this triangle, it begins at the bottom with what, what's called physiological needs. So food, clothing, water, shelter. Um, and what I, what I said last week was that these are very basic. We know that we need these things in order to survive, in order to thrive. But that's not all. You know, we can, we can go up in this triangle and we can see that we also, you know, we need other things in order to f- truly flourish, to be truly human, to be fully human, right? To live into our humanity and our created potential. The challenge is that the higher up we go, the harder it actually becomes to nail these needs down. You know, um, a, a person can, can have plenty of food on the table, a roof over their head, clothes on their back, and yet be building their identity on something extremely fragile and be riddled with anxiety and, and, and just unable to truly function. And so the higher up we go in this triangle, the more important these needs become and the harder they are to actually get. So that's what this series through Lent is is all about, is to show us how the Christian faith actually offers us incredibly deep resources to meet the needs that we have as as humans, to be fully alive, to be fully human. We talked last week about identity. This week, we're moving on. We're going to talk about meaning. What is is meaning? I was tempted to put in the the scene from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy— and I, I held myself back. The meaning is the combination of two things, okay? Meaning is purpose, meaning that there's a, there's a reason for doing something. And meaning is significance. It makes a difference. Meaning is purpose, there's a reason, and it's significance. It makes a difference. There's something outside of myself that it impacts, beyond myself. Uh, what, what do I actually mean? Let me, know, let me show you what I mean. So um, many of us know what this is, um, and it's not just a hunk of gold, right? It's more than that. Why? Because it has meaning to us. Okay, this is an Olympic gold medal from the Beijing 2022 Olympics, and it has both purpose and significance. Okay, what's its purpose? Well, it, this medal tells us who the best is. If you wear this around your neck, it means 
Not that you got fifth place. Not that you got fourth place. You got which place? First place. You were the best, the fastest. You jumped the highest. You skated the furthest, whatever it is. You were the best, okay? But we, we know that it also has a, a significance to this. And what is the significance? It, it represents a pedigree, right? When you look at this medal and you see those rings that are engraved on it, you know that this is not the OFSA soccer championships. This is not a national title. We're talking about a worldwide competition, this represents something so um, beyond ourselves in that it is the, the, the best of the best who receive this. And it changes your life. Okay, purpose and significance. That's what makes this medal unique. That's what makes it more than just a hunk of gold on a string. It has meaning. Now, it shouldn't surprise you uh, to hear that each of us in our lives, we have meaning. We have to have meaning. Um, we have to have a sense of purpose. We have to have a sense of significance. And we should, no matter who you are in this room, you should care about this a lot. Well, why is that? Okay, so two quotes that I want to share with you. One from a U of T professor named John uh, Verveke. Verveke says this, um, meaning in life is terrifically important. Meaning in life is an indicator very predictive of well-being and how you're, doing your how you're doing in life in general. Okay? And he's a, he's a social scientist. Another is from an article that I read in The Atlantic uh, this week that says this. Um, one 2019 study found that agreeing with the statement, I have a philosophy of life that helps me understand who I am, right, meaning and significance, was associated with fewer symptoms of depression and higher positive effect. And so science actually shows us how important meaning in life is. But it can be hard sometimes. Right? We do all find ourselves asking these really big, really hard questions. What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose, my unique purpose in this world filled with so many people? What, what do I bring to the table? What is my purpose? Perhaps you found yourself asking that question before, wondering what, why you're here. And then the second thing is, what difference does it make? You know, if I devote myself to something in my life, pour my whole heart and soul into it, what, does it live beyond myself? How do I know that not that I matter, but that what I do matters? These are two really important questions for us to answer, okay? Before I go on any further, I do want to mention that um, I'm doing something kind of unique this, this Sunday. That's my cell phone number. Emerson has my cell phone in the back. And what I want you to do is text in questions that you have about the sermon, related to the sermon, okay? And imagine questions that can be answered in one minute or less, not three or four hours, okay? So just questions of clarification, questions of application. What is this percolating in your mind? And text them in. I'm going to take two questions at the end uh, from, from my phone and then one question from uh, any of you who wants to raise your hand. All right? So, uh, going back, meaning. Um, in the Gospel of John, the prologue points out the Christian Gospel that provides us with 
a very unique way of understanding meaning in our life. John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And what John is telling us here is that the Christian faith provides us with a meaning in life that is discovered and not created. The meaning in life for a Christian is discovered and not created. And I want to show you in this sermon why that makes all the difference for our lives and for our sense of meaning. So let's look at three questions this morning. Where do we look for meaning? What is the tests of meaning? And how do we discover the unique gospel meaning for life? So first, where do we look for meaning? Um, two places, and I said it before, uh, just, just before this, we either discover meaning or we create meaning. Okay, so first, what does it mean to create meaning? Remember the definition of meaning is a combination of both purpose, right, which, which is a reason for doing something, and a significance that it matters beyond just me. Um, created meaning is a meaning in life that you create for yourself. It's subjective. It differs from person to person, meaning that everyone can have a different sense of purpose and significance. Okay, now some of you are in high school. And in a very real way, high school or even university uh, provides us with a created sense of meaning. So let's say you aspire to be, uh, to go to law school or to medical school or to go into the trades or to be an environmental scientist or whatever. Each of these things that we uh, have in our mind of what, 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 I want my, what, what are my passions and gifts, what is my purpose, these will bring us to approach high school or education in a certain way. You will, you will take these courses and not those courses. Right? It'll very different, very different uh, course load if you want to become an electrician or if you want to go to law school. Very different. Um, and you would have a very different reason for doing those courses. You will maybe um, be a part of these clubs and not those clubs. You, you will have a very different purpose for high school. And it will have a different significance for you as well. Right? To serve something beyond yourself, right? To, to, to let your, your education will, will live beyond you. But what does that actually mean? Well, for, um, you know, some grades and marks matter more than others. Because it will get you into something further down the road that will allow you to be significant in the world. Um, for other people, it will be um, more the, the friendships or the relationships that you make through the high school years that will be, that will be the significance for you. Your, your high school years or your university years is created meaning. It's subjective from person to person. But there's more created meanings than just, just high school. Think about what it means to be a good parent or to be a parent or a, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. There is a purpose and a significance to that that we create. Not every one of us are parents. Not every one of us are grandparents. And that, that, that meaning in life, that purpose, that significance, is created the moment that that child enters the world. What about a career, right, that has a purpose and a significance to you that is, that is unique, that's created by you being in that career? This is meaning that we create for ourselves, 
Right? But then there's also discovered meaning. And discovered meaning is not subjective, but objective. And it's the same for everyone. And that discovered meaning is what John shows us in this passage. He writes, in the beginning was the word. Now, what is the word? If you've been around this church for a little while, you may have heard me explain this a few times because I think it is important uh, that we understand what John is meaning by, by this. Uh, he uses that word, word, logos, uh, because it was a very philosophically loaded word in that culture. And it, uh, the Stoics, the Greek Stoics, would use this to reference the, the meaning, the significance, the purpose behind everything in the universe. The Logos was an impersonal force that was, that was the essence of the universe. And the, the, the point was to discover it and align your life with it. And John is saying, essentially, that the Word is not some impersonal force, some God force. The Word is a person. The Word is a knowable person. The Word is Jesus Christ. And to flourish... To, to really become fully alive, fully human, we have to align our sense of meaning with his sense of meaning, with Jesus' purpose. Our purpose flows through his purpose. That's the astounding claim that John is making here. And so the meaning of life for a Christian comes not primarily through the created meanings of being a student or a parent or our careers. All of those things still exist, and yet there is a deeper level, a discovered meaning that, that transcends them all and is the lens through which we see everything, and that is a, a relationship with God. The meaning in life for a Christian is, dis, is the discovered relationship with God that we were created for. Right? Imagine back in Genesis when, when God created heaven and earth, created humans good, and in his image, he created us to be in a relationship with him. He created us as images of God to reflect his glory to, through the things that we do in the world. And so to be, to, John is saying that the meaning of life for us is to get back into that relationship, to see that our meaning is to glorify God. That's what we exist to do. Through all of the things that we've been empowered to do, like go, go into the world, become doctors, become lawyers, become electricians, become scientists, whatever it is, through that flows. But it comes back to the source, the logos, the meaning, the relationship. Sin gets mixed up in all of this, though. Uh, when we elevate, and this is the original sin of the garden, when we elevate created meanings to the highest place in our lives. Paul tells us this in Romans, right? When we worship created things, not the creator. That's sin. Now, what does this mean for the meanings in our life? Well, family. Let's take family. Family is important. Very important. Um, many of us are tempted, though, to place our significance and purpose solely in, um, in raising a family and put it into the place of God. We essentially, we take being a parent, and we deify it. We make it a god. We worship parenting. Maybe not intentionally, but practically. And I've, I've talked with, and in my pastoral career, I've talked with parents who, they, they come to me, and, and their kid, their last child has just left the house and gone away, and they say, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm lost. I, 
I've lost my sense of meaning. And what they're actually saying is that they've, they created a meaning that was so important in their lives. They elevated it to the place of God, which was raising kids, being a good parent. And when that role started to change, everything began to crumble. And career is important, but when it takes significance and, and purpose and we put it in the place of God, all of a sudden we have a bunch of people who can't retire. Because identity and meaning is wrapped up so tightly in career and working. Sabbath becomes really hard, right? In the West, we have such a hard time not working because so much of our meaning in life, our purpose and our significance comes through the work that we do. And so when God says, I command you to rest, we say, we can't. We can't. Why? Because it's meaning for us. We've lost the discovered meaning of the Christian faith. We all do this, Christian or not. And so the, the real thing, for the, the real answer, that everything in our lives has to be seen through the lens of a relationship with God. I'll touch on that more on the last point, but I want to move on. So created meanings and discovered meanings. What are the tests of meaning? I want to show you um, that created meanings in themselves are much more fragile and vulnerable than we might realize. Let me show you two tests. The first is what I want to call the why test. This comes out of a French philosopher, Luc Ferry, and uh, he, he talks about how we can distill meaning in life down to its essence, down to its core, by constantly asking the question, why? 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 And here's what I mean by this. Okay, uh, I thought I had a slide for it. I guess I don't. Um, why do you work? Okay, we could say, well, I work. One of the reasons, there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons I do is to provide for my family. Right, that's one of the reasons why I work. Why do I want to provide for my family? I want to provide for my family because I want them to flourish. Okay, why do you want them to flourish? I want them to flourish because I love them. Well, why do I love them? Because, and what I could do is I could keep asking this question and, and keep distilling this purpose and significance of work down to its essential core, and eventually it will become unjustifiable. If our meaning is created, meaning that it's something that's located inside this world, eventually it will bring us a place where we cannot justify it. We cannot justify it. C.S. Lewis describes uh, this by talking about um, the material world. Created meanings exist within a material world only. And here's what he says. He says, you can't, except for the lowest animal sense, be in love with a girl if you know and keep on remembering that all of the beauties of her person and of her character are a momentary and accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms, and that your own response to them is only a sort of psychic phosphorescence arising from the behavior of your genes. He goes on, he says, um, you can't go on getting any very serious pleasure from music if you know and remember that its air of significance is a pure illusion, that you like it only because your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. 
You may still, in the lowest sense, have a good time, but insofar as it becomes very good, just insofar as it ever threatens to push you on from cold sensuality into real warmth and enthusiasm and joy, so far you will be forced to feel the hopeless disharmony between your own emotions and the universe in which you really live. Now, what is Lewis saying in this? He's saying that when we create meanings, when we locate meanings, purpose, and significance for our lives in the created world, there is a a ceiling to them. And we can't think too hard about them because eventually the transcendence will break through. And and we'll we'll realize that it's, it's all meaningless. You can't really love someone deeply, deeply feel that emotional love when you're located in a material world because because what is that love other than a programming of your genes? It doesn't make sense. Meaning doesn't stand up. But what's the second test of meaning? It's suffering. Because nothing tests our meaning in life more than suffering. I still remember the early days of the Russian invasion into Ukraine and a tweet that went fairly viral put out by NPR that said to Americans this, remember that it's okay not to be plugged into the news 24-7. By turning off your alerts or just scanning the headlines once a day, you may be able to feel more grounded and prioritize yourself and your loved ones. And I remember the backlash coming from some uh, people from Ukraine who were hiding out in bomb shelters and saying, how dare you? How dare you? But what caused this tweet? Suffering was entering our news feeds and our Twitter feeds. And it was making Americans and Westerners feel uncomfortable. We were discovering that the world wasn't as safe as we were told that it was. And this has everything to do with meaning in life. How does your meaning allow you to handle suffering in this world? If your meaning in life is to raise a nice family and live in the suburbs and be at peace, then what happens when war breaks out? It's not just war in the world. It represents the disintegration of your meaning in life. If your meaning in life is your career, what happens when you get laid off or get sick or you have to retire or or the company goes bankrupt? Your meaning in life falls apart. If your meaning in life is sports, what happens if you get cut? You don't make the team. You get injured. Your meaning in life, it falls apart. Suffering absolutely destroys created meaning. But the gospel provides us with discovered meaning. And discovered meaning is deep enough to actually endure suffering. And actually, the Christian gospel tells us that it actually has the potential to bring us closer to God. Suffering is a way of driving us closer to the arms of God and not further away. It drives us closer to our meaning in life and not further away from it. Does that mean we should welcome it? No. And here's what one person I read this week compared uh, the Christian view of suffering to other religions and worldviews, and it was so helpful. They said this, unlike the concept of karma, Christianity teaches that suffering is often unfair, 
not merited by actions from a former life. Unlike Buddhism, Christianity teaches that suffering is a terrible reality, not an illusion to be transcended with Stoic detachment. Unlike fatalism, such as the Greek Stoics, or other shame and honor cultures, Christianity finds nothing particularly noble about suffering. It should not be welcomed. Yet unlike secularism, Christianity teaches that it can be meaningful and that it can make you something great. The reason for all these differences is that the Christian view of the universe is so different. A transcendent universe. But a universe where our Savior enters in. The Word became flesh. And not just entered in, He actually took upon Himself suffering. Christ suffered. And that's what makes the Christian gospel so unique and such a resource for us when we move into seasons of life where we, we are encountering suffering is that there is no place that Jesus Christ has not gone Himself. Two tests for meaning. Can it handle the question of why and can it handle suffering? How does your meaning in life stand up to these things? Perhaps we all have to draw close to the logos, to the word, once again. Let me move on to my last point, though. How do we discover gospel meaning? Three things. Look at who he is. Look at how he came. And look at why he died. First, let's look at who he is. Verse 18 tells us that no one has ever seen God except Jesus. The gospel was written for Jewish people, the gospel of John was, and they would have known this. You can't look at God and live. Moses could not look at God and live. Abraham could not look at God and live. You know, um, when uh, Jacob was wrestling with God, you know, at daybreak, God had to leave. Why? Because he could not look upon his glory. The glory of God is too great, and yet Jesus Christ can. He is, what does that tell us? He's perfectly righteous. He's perfect. He's in the closest relationship with the Father, meaning he's right with the Father. He's perfectly righteous. Who is he? He is the Son of God, the Word at the beginning. But second, now look at why, or sorry, how he came. John says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Greek word that John uses for dwelling is the word uh, for pitched his tent, right? Jesus set up shop. He camped out in our midst. He got into our space. He became one of us. He was not only God. He came to us. He made himself one of us. The word became flesh. He took on our humanness. Look at how he came meekness and majesty the meekness of being human the majesty of being god but third look at why he died john tells us that we have received grace in place of grace already given or our nivs in the pew say something like blessing upon the blessing something like that but the idea is this okay in the old testament the israelites they were given the law they were given the law in in order to um, live in a relationship with God. 
They, They were not worthy of his presence, and yet through the law and the sacrifices, God was able to be their God. He was able to live with his people. It was, and so in this way, the, the law was a gift. It was grace. It was grace. But Jesus Christ came to give grace upon grace already given. And here's what he means by that. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, made himself human. And when he went to the cross, he took upon himself every single thing that gets in the way of us and God. You know, the barrier... Between us and God, our sin, Jesus Christ took upon himself. And he wore it, and it killed him. Why? Because life apart from God always kills us. Always. We cannot thrive. We cannot flourish when we are not in a relationship with God. And so Christ, the logos, the meaning came down, and he took upon himself our sin so that we could be welcomed back. So that we could be restored. So that we could once again live in a love relationship with God. So that we could be brought in. And so the discovered meaning, the purpose and significance that, that we receive through Christ is grace. It is all grace. Because it's all through Christ. He is the mediator. He's the one in which we can approach God, that we can be with God, and that we can know that we will always be able to draw near to him. This is what the catechism calls rising to the new life, the new self. And so in in one of the questions and answers, it says, what is the rising to life of the new self? And I want to say for us this morning that the rising to life of the new self is grabbing hold of this meaning in life, this meaning for life, this restored relationship with God. And here's what it says. It is a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. Let me say that again. A whole, this is, this is the meaning for life, a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by do, doing every kind of good work. High school, family, career, all of these examples that I've given throughout this sermon about created meaning have a place in living out the Christian faith, of doing every kind of good work, all of our gifts, all of our passions, right? What are you passionate about? What has God placed on your heart? Take that and do it, and do it because of a delight and a love to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. That is our calling. That is our purpose. That is our significance, and it lives beyond us because it's God's call. It's God's mission. It's God's world, and he's called us to be a part of it. This is the kind of meaning that brings about true flourishing. Meaning in life is discovered. It's not created. And a love relationship with God based completely and entirely on grace is the best way to live. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we praise you this morning uh, for being a God who... um, became one of us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Not only that, God, you have given us grace upon grace that we can once again um, find, discover the true meaning for life. 
in a relationship with you. That you provide us with a purpose and a significance, a reason for doing everything in our life and a, and a significance that it lives beyond us, that it makes a difference in the long run for you're making everything new and you're using us to do that. God, may this transcend every single thing that we do. God, put this uh, in our minds and in our hearts as we swing a hammer, as we um, attend the class, as we write the report, everything. It's all because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Can I define spiritual fulfillment or give an example? Okay, so um, the first thing that pops into my mind in this question is um, the glory of God. I think this was Augustine who said this. The glory of God is in man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And so when I think of spiritual fulfillment, it's not so much a destination, but it's, it's a, a trajectory, a journey. Spirit, being spiritually fulfilled is a devoting our entire lives to glorifying God. That's when we become fully alive. Okay? So um, it's by everything um, orienting ourselves to that meaning, that purpose. I'm giving God the glory. I'm giving God the glory. Every distraction from that Uh, deviates us away from spiritual fulfillment, right? The glory of God is in man fully alive. I hope that helps. Where do you see meaning in Maslow's hierarchy? It seems to travel throughout the pyramid, so I would like to hear your thoughts on it. You're exactly right. It is throughout the pyramid. So um, if, I don't know if we can go back to the pyramid, uh, Emerson, so um, I think meaning is, uh, def- it transcends everything. The, the top is self-actualization, which is kind of his definition of um, being the best you, living up to your created potential. But in order to, to do that, I think the, the top three, belonging, social connection, esteem, self-actualization, I think uh, meaning in life transcends those, but it, it will depend on how we construct our meanings. In, order, in how we're actually living into those top three. Um, so if our meanings are more created, our sense of belonging or social connection will be more fragile. Um, our self-esteem will be more fragile because it'll be based on something that, but that we've created that we can lose. And so um, it actually depends on how we actually um, create our sense of meaning in how we will be able to live into the top three of these triangles. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? All right. And um, I said I was going to take one question from the floor. Is there anyone else who would like to raise a hand and uh, ask a question? Cool. Then let me invite you to stand and we'll sing our song of response.